0: Jen and I vacation down at the Jersey Shore at Long Beach Island, and you have to take Route 72. It's the only way onto the island. Um, there's no other way on. And so we take Route 72, and the last stop before going onto the island is Man-Hawk in New Jersey. And just before you get into Manhattan on the right hand side, there's a retail store for a gas company, and they have one of those lettered signs, you know, like marquee lettering on the signs. And nine years ago, we were headed down and uh, when we were driving past the sign, I looked over and I realized that they had done something different with the sign. The sign, the advertisements that you know they usually have the specials there and what's going on, and I didn't say any of that anymore. All it said was 9 one never forget. And every year that we went past, it just kept saying that. And for eight years, it said 91101, one never forget. And that's all this sign ever said. And uh, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, someone's got to give up some. That's some of the primary communication space with their clientele. Well, everyone's driving by, uh, you know, and they gave up that space to say never forget 9-11-01, they must feel very strongly about not forgetting, which is interesting to me on one level, and that's that I I, I can't forget 9-11 if I try to, you know? I don't know about you, but you don't have to tell me not to forget. Like, they say that you'll never forget where you were when it happened, you know, and it's certainly true of me. Um, I, I would imagine that's true for most of us. Uh, that's not an easily forgotten thing. I mean, it's, for a long time, this is going to be something that's not easily forgotten, you know? Uh, but we say never forget. Why would someone give up that space of their sign in order to say never forget when it's something that people aren't going to forget? Well, they're trying to communicate something deeper than that, aren't they? It's not just like, remember that this happened. It's, there, there's some sort of sentiment, that they're trying to hold on to. Maybe they lost a loved one and it's a memorial to them. Maybe there was a real, you know, maybe they're a, a, a firefighter and they realized that for the first responders and what happened there, it was a day of heroism and they, they want that remembered. Maybe it was a day of camaraderie where they sensed that the country came together in difficult times. Maybe they want us to remember just how bad it can get. You know, may, whatever it is, there's some angle of it that they want us to remember. And that's why we say never forget. It's not that we'll actually forget, will we? I don't think any of us will actually forget anytime soon, but it's really a question of what will we remember from that day? What will we remember? Because you can't remember it all. None of us can remember it all. We are, our, our brains can only remember so much. We can only call to memory so much. And so there's actually a selection process that happens in our minds somehow, that some memories stick and some don't you know? And, and something happens. I, I have a memory from what my parents moved up into this area when I was two years old. And I have a memory, a couple of memories from before that, you know? So I was really young. And the one memory is that they had me, um, I was at a, a neighbor's house who was babysitting me and I was in a onesie, one of those zip up onesies, you know? And the bathtub was full and I dumped, jumped into the bathtub with my onesie on, you know? And uh, why should I remember that? It wasn't that unique compared to all the other stories that I hear about myself back then. But this story in particular, I remember because they have a picture of it. And in that picture, I'm dripping wet in a onesie and they've told me the story a number of times about that and they've laughed about it. See, oftentimes the things we remember are the stories that are told in the pictures that we see. And they're often the things that stick in. See, when when it comes to some event... You know, everyone remembers an an event, if it's a huge event like 9-11, but right now in broadcasts all across the networks that are broadcasting all across our world, there are videos being played, there's memorial services, there's stories being told, and those stories and those videos and those pictures are working to form a collective memory in people all across the globe saying, these are the things that we're going to commemorate about that day. And there's a selection process that happens that says, this is what we think is important to remember about that day. And some of those things, the stories that are told will inform what we'll remember going forward. You know, we're at a place now with technology where you could almost have a video camera, a high-definition video camera strapped to your shoulder or something that would just like videotape everything that happens in your life all the time. And I mean, that with the, uh, it's so cheap now to get, have storage. You could just be having that stored on hard drives all the time. And you could recall your entire life on a hard drive you know, on on a bunch of hard drives and just be able to like, whenever you want, go back and call it all back up. But who could ever have the time to go back and watch their whole life on videotape? If you do, you're not living your life and the rest of the videotape is just gonna be you watching a video. You know, it doesn't make any sense. We can't do that. We, no matter how good technology is at helping us remember things, no matter how many pictures we have. I mean, when I look back at the amount of pictures I have of our firstborn son, Evan, and the amount of pictures, I'm like, what was I thinking? There's like millions of pictures. You know, like it's cool. You know, there's only a few pictures that I remember of me when I was a kid. But, but there's no way we can actually process all of those pictures. You know, there's, it's too much. And, and no matter how much technology can help us expand our memory, we don't have the ability to use it enough. You know, we don't have the time or energy or whatever to recall it. So no matter what aids there are that help us with our memory, we're still limited by what actually sticks to us. What sticks to us in our memory. What's, what, and, and you notice that if there's a historical event, we commemorate something or we memorialize something. That When that happens, we're choosing to select which pictures, which videos, which stories. And that's an angle now that we'll always remember that story based on. You know, we'll always remember from that angle. And that's why history books can tell radically different perspectives of the exact same event because they choose to take different pictures, to tell different stories of the same angle. And none of us can remember everything about that historical event. So we hear the story, and it shapes what we think about the history. That's the way it works. That's exactly how history works. And so uh, the interesting thing with all of that is that the Scriptures tell us very clearly That when it comes to which memories will stick in our minds and which won't, it doesn't have to be just a random selection process. It's not just like, I don't know, when I look back at my life, I kind of remember this is my earliest memory or that's my earliest memory. There's a whole other thing that can take place. The scriptures actually tell us that we get to choose which memories we take with us. That's what the scriptures teach us. And the scriptures actually, it goes beyond just telling us that we get to choose and that we can choose. The scriptures actually demand that we remember certain things. The Lord commands us very clearly throughout the scriptures, you must Remember this, and you must remember that. And then God doesn't just leave it out there and say, now go do it. Oftentimes, he makes signs and symbols and commemorates things so that it brings back to our memory what those things are. There's a selection process. And in the scriptures, there's a few times where he says, this thing right here, you need to remember that. So I'm making a sign for you that you will always remember this. It's imperative that you don't forget this principle right here you don't forget this moment, that you don't forget this story. One of the first great symbols that he gave us to remember is of a, 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 a gigantic natural disaster. We've had some huge natural disasters recently. I mean, just around here, you know, we just had the flood and there was the, the hurricane and there was the earthquake. But then if you look back over the last 10 years, I mean, you think about the, the earthquake in Haiti and you think about the tsunami in Indonesia. and you, I mean, just terrible, terrible disasters. But none of them compare to the flood. Not one of them compares to the flood, the flood of Noah, you know, globally, globally, we're talking that covered the earth. And, And, and the world was so wicked. I don't, I don't understand some things about God. You know, some things are really hard to comprehend about God, but like the entire world wiped out by a flood because we were that wicked, you know? And I struggle with that sometimes, you know, just like, wow, you know? And, uh, except one little remnant. There's always the remnant, you know, and it's Noah and it's his, and it's his people, his family. And God brings him through. And afterwards, uh, you know, he sets up this covenant with him that says that he's never going to destroy the the whole earth by flood. And he, and he makes some promises to Noah and he commemorates this and he tells him that he has to remember it. It's imperative that he remembers it. And uh, Genesis 8, Genesis chapter 9 tells us about it. And here's what happens after he makes this covenant with Noah in verse 16. He says, Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. We were down at the shore uh, a few weeks ago for our vacation and my parents came down and joined us for one day. And uh, they picked a spectacular day. It was thunderstorms the whole time. And uh, it was one of those days where the thunderstorms were so amazing. I mean, you're just seeing, like, the, the lightning all across the horizon, you know, just electric. And it's just wild, you know, the power. What was wild is on, on one side, that's what it was. And when you turn around, like, when you're on the island, you have the bay side and the ocean side. You know, and on the, and on the, uh, on the ocean side, you're seeing this crazy thunderstorm. And you turn around and look, and on the bay side... The sky was clear and there was a sunset happening. It was wild. It was like peaceful sunset over the bay and vicious thunderstorm on this side. And you know what that creates, right? An incredible rainbow. And, uh, you know, so here we are at Arita's water ice, which life is good, you know. And uh, we're sitting at the Arita's water ice and we're watching electric on the sky and we're sunset here. And I look and there is from, from this side to this side, a huge arch of a rainbow you know, seeing both sides of it, just a brilliant, brilliant rainbow. And then the second one started to form over top of it, you know, and I was just like, whoa, like had to, had took my phone out, took a video of it, that type of thing. But I remember just thinking with all of its brilliance, I'm sure that it's nothing compared to that day when God gave the first rainbow to Noah, you know? And what's interesting is like, that's a story that can be seen as a fable. It's a story that can be seen as a religious story, to commemorate something, but the whole point of God putting a sign in the sky was actually to help us get an angle and a memory of a historical event. It wasn't just to create some theology in our mind. It wasn't to give us some sort of religious experience. The whole point was that something happened in history that he wanted us to remember, and it was a flood, and it was a covenant between God and his people, and there was a historical event, so we put a sign that just appears out of thin air that the Memorial of God just shows up anytime there 's this, this the elements come together in a certain way and, and it 's like the, the, instead of a World War II memorial or whatever a rainbow shows up you know and that 's God commemorating something that we 're supposed to remember a historical event we 're supposed to remember after that there 's another covenant and you, you might uh, remember you might remember there was this guy Abram, and Abram got called to leave his town and and uh, his name got changed to Abraham by God. And he got called to leave his town. And when he left his town, God told him, I'm going to give you a huge nation that's going to f- come from you. And you're going to have a son, even though you're going to be old in age and all of that. And he makes these incredible promises. And he says that I'm going to bless all the nations through this nation that's going to come from you. And he says, what's more is, is this covenant I'm making with you, I'm going to mark it with a sign. There's going to be a sign that you always have to remember this covenant. Now, this sign is a different kind of sign. Okay, very, very different than a rainbow. It's a much more painful sign, I would imagine. And it's a a much more private sign. Um, When the whole nation, this is, uh, oh wait, hang on. Exodus or Genesis chapter, where are we? We're in chapter 17 in verse 11. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for generations to come. Every male among you who is eight years old must be circumcised. So it says, for generations to come, there's going to be a sign. And the sign is that every kid who's a boy at the age of eight is going to go through this procedure where I'm going to, part of his flesh has to be cut off of him, not just any part, a very sensitive and sacred part. you know. And what God's doing is he's actually setting up a symbol that says, you are set apart. And at the very core of you, at a, at a very, at, right at the, at the most central, deep part of you, this special set, I am setting you aside and making you different. And may you always know that you are a different people. And so the, he says this is for generations to come. See, this story has to be remembered not just by Abraham. You think Abraham's going to forget that God showed up and talked to him? No, he's not going to forget. Who's going to forget? Generations to come are going to forget. But then there's the sign that he puts in the generation so that they always remember, so that they always remember the story. And as things go, move forward, uh, you know, the nation eventually comes to, comes to fruition and God births the nation of Israel through them and the patriarchs and they end up through Joseph down in Egypt and uh, they end up slaves and then God raises up someone else. And there's another covenant that happens and it's the greatest covenant of the Old Testament. Who, who's the leader he raises up? Moses. Moses don't all answer at once. Gosh, um, Moses, the greatest of the Old Testament. Um, pr- anybody seen Prince of Egypt or, oh, wait, was that the, other? anyway. Um, so uh, Moses, he, there's this great covenant with God between God and his people and Moses, and they go to Mount Sinai and up on the mountain, God forms his covenant with his people. And do you know what the sign is of that covenant? There was a rainbow and then there was circumcision. and Now the sign is the law. The law is the sign. This is going to be more of a living sign. See, first, it was just some abstract thing in the sky. Then secondly, it was a piece of flesh that was taken from people, a physical sign. But now it's going to be that these people are to look different than everyone else because they follow this law. And when they follow this law, they're set apart and they look different, not just physically look different, they lifestyle look different than everyone else because they're submitted to a different leadership. They're submitted to God. And what he says is one of the great commandments there in, in the 10 is he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. One of the signs is, you know, Every seventh day, I want you guys to stop everything you're doing. And no matter what's going on in the world around you, one of the ways that people are going to know you is you're going to stop everything you're going to do and you're going to refocus on me and you're going to center on me and remember that everything comes from me. It's one of the, one of the lifestyle things that's going to be different. That's one of the reasons we still come to church on a Sunday is because this sets apart. We come to connect with God and, and recenter, And it's a practice that we hold together, that we commemorate, that, that we need God. We remember that we need God and we come together to go and to find God and be refueled by God and recentered by God and reconnected to God and recentered with each other. It's, it's part of the practice of who we are as a people of faith because we recognize that's part of what sets us apart. It's part of how we live. And the, the point of the law was that God would, was saying to them, I'm going to make you a different people, a set apart people, a holy people who live differently than all those around you, and this will be the sign, not only that you are my people to you, but everyone else will see the sign as well and what happens in that is it's amazing over in numbers he gives another symbol to them he says you're going to easily forget the law you see the law w- works as a sign if you follow it but if you don't follow it then the sign's no longer functional so I got to get you to remember that you're supposed to follow it so what he does is you know those tassels that guys um, sometimes wear on their loafers you know, those like two little tassels or whatever. They have to have these tassels, and they wear them on their clothes. And, and there, it was to hang off their clothes. On the hems of their garments, there was these tassels that would hang off. And every time they see the tassels, it was supposed to be a reminder that says, oh, yeah, the law of God. got, and, and they would strap things around their forehead, and they had all these different things on their clothing to remind them about the law of God because they needed to know we are not just a normal people. We have tassels. You know, we have straps on our heads. Why? Because we have a law, because we're supposed to live according to that law, because we're supposed to live differently, because we're not just random people on earth. We're the people who God is setting apart to live holy lives to be the people of God. And that's the covenant. And it's marked by these signs. Now, when they get to the promised land and they're about to enter in, you know, obviously they're going to be petrified. They're up against these fierce nations. They've been wandering the desert, you know, it's been, and now all of a sudden they're supposed to go in and, and conquer and walk into the promised land and they're going to be afraid. Well, God tells them in Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 8, he tells them, listen, I don't want you to be afraid. This is what I want you to do. I want you to remember. And this is what he says he wants them to remember. I want you to remember how I brought you up out of Egypt and how I sustained you in the desert and when you remember how i provided back then and i saved you back then and how i provided all in this time in the desert now it should be that it should give you confidence that what's this next step it's no big deal look at what i've already done you know now it builds your faith come on now go do it now here's the here's the weird thing about that is that when he speaks this to the people were they the same people who got brought up out of egypt no it's another generation I mean, the oldest among them would have been tiny, tiny little things when, when they, you know, they, they wouldn't have had a memory about it. And God's telling them, and most of these people wouldn't have even been born yet, and he's telling them, remember what I did back then. How in the world would they remember? They can't remember they weren't there. There's only one way to remember. What were the stories that were told? What are the pictures that are seen? What are the songs that are sung? What are the practices and the holidays that they celebrate in order to get them to remember And you see, one of the things that's part of the law is this whole thing of the feasts and the fasts. And they were supposed to practice these feasts and fasts. They were holidays. And the holidays were like the rainbow. They were to inform them of historical events that happened so they would always remember so that they could remember who God is. And we have holidays like that, don't we? I mean, two in particular that we really, you know, Christian holidays we celebrate, Christmas and Easter, big holidays that we celebrate that are supposed to remind us of historic events. And that's really what they're all about, right? I mean, they're... That is what they're about, right? I I think that that's still what they're about. I I don't even know in a Christian home and in a church whether we actually still practice these as if they're historical reminders or if they're like a fun time for family and a religious event, even when it's a spiritual and religious thing that we want this experience. we, We oftentimes see it as a spiritual experience instead of seeing it as a remembrance of a historical event. You know, the only reason for these holidays, it's not there so that we have a good feeling uh, with regard to God. You know, it's not there just so that we have a good holiday and, and, and have good times with family. It's there because we need to remember what happened. You have to remember. And that's what happened with these feasts and these fasts is they were told to remember. And they had all these fasts to remember what was happening, these feasts. And the greatest of the feasts possibly was what? The Passover feast. The Passover. And when they had the Passover, what did they remember? That when they were in Egypt... God was going to get them out of Egypt. It was their last night in Egypt. And he says to them, tomorrow I'm going to break you out of here. And they're in the most, under the strength of the most powerful nation on earth. And they're slaves and they have nothing. And God says he's about to free them. And he says, I'm going to break you out of here tomorrow. Now listen, tonight things are going to get bad. And the angel of death is going to come. And there's going to be death all over this country. And if you paint the blood of a lamb on your doorpost, on your doorway, I'm gonna, the angel of death is going to pass over you. You and it's not going to bring death to you. We can talk about this like a story, but think about this, man. Just think about this is today. If this is tonight, you know, that tomorrow morning we're going to wake up and houses all across Coventry Glen and all across the Pottstown area and all across southeastern Pennsylvania, we're going we're to wake up and there's going to be people screaming bloody murder because their firstborn kids are going to be gone. Just think about that for a second. He says, kill a lamb and paint its blood on your doorway, and it won't happen to you. What? What? And they did it. And as they did it, God tells them in the middle of it. He says, I want you to remember this day for the future. God's so confident about what's going to happen that he sets up the memorial, not after it happens. He sets up the memorial before it happens. Watch this. And we're going to look at it right here in... um, In Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 14, he says this. He says, this is a day you are to commemorate. This is in the middle of it. It's about to happen. I mean, imagine you're about to go into battle, like, you know, or something. The the nation is about to go to war. Some cataclysmic thing is about to happen. And before talking about what you're going to do today, and instead of dealing with the crisis, you're already talking about the memorial of this day. Like, that's how crazy this whole thing is. And God says, this is the day you're to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you were to eat bread made without yeast. They were to eat this bread that didn't have yeast in it because that night they were in a hurry and they didn't have time for the bread to rise or anything, make it without yeast. So that's what the the, the festival is going to be going forward. Seven days of eating this kind of weird bread that doesn't rise. And then in verse 24, Then the people bowed down and worshiped. You see, they didn't have high definition video cameras and they didn't catch what happened in Egypt. But what they did have is they had a holiday where they told the stories to their kids and they took a snapshot and it was in the form of this Passover feast and unleavened bread and the blood of the lamb. And all of this was a story they would tell their kids because they said, we can't forget what God did. We absolutely have to remember this day. We have to remember it, and my kids aren't going to remember it with their own minds because they weren't there, so we have to memorialize it in a way that they'll always remember, and so God puts this ordinance in. Now, they start practicing the Passover, and the the stories are told, the songs are sung, which is why when they're going into the promised land, God tells them to remember what I did back then to give them courage because they know. They know the stories, and it's not just ancient stories. These are just their parents. Happened to their parents. You know, their parents crossed the Red Sea and went through the 10 plagues. That's pretty close proximity. Now, fast forward, okay, 1,500 years forward from there. And what happens is Jesus is on earth. And Jesus, at this point, is 33 years old. And he says in Luke, he sits down with his 12 disciples in an upper room. And he says, I have longed to, to eat this Passover meal with you. And they're having the same meal 1,500 years later. 1,500 years later, and they're still remembering through this feast that God put in place. And they know what it means. And they remember what the story is. And they know how it worked. Okay? And, and, and they're remembering. And now Jesus brings them all together in this upper room. And they're eating the feast. And Jesus knows that he is about to become the Passover lamb. That this story is going to come back to life in a whole new way. He knows what's about to happen. And on this night, as they celebrate Passover together, he calls them together. And he calls them to this upper room. And this is how Paul reminds us about it. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. You see the passing on, the passing on of the story. I received from God what I'm also going to pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. What kind of bread? Passover bread. know, <laughs> took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body. That unleavened bread from 1500 years ago has a whole level of meaning they knew nothing about. And Jesus is unlocking the meaning. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Here's a new covenant. It's not the Noahic covenant. It's not the Abrahamic covenant. It's not the Mosaic covenant. This is the covenant of Jesus, the new covenant that is for all people. It's not about the blood of a lamb that's on a doorpost. This is about the blood of Jesus that is over our hearts. It's not about uh, laws that are written on tablets and stone. It's about the law of God through the Holy Spirit that's written on our hearts. It's not about being a people of God and a nation who is just God up here and me down here and being set apart from other nations. It's about being a people who are radically transformed from the inside out, who have access to the throne room of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And on this moment, as he recognizes an event that will change all of history, he sets up a memorial and we call it communion. In this church, we call it a feast. We call it love feast. And at love feast, we wash one another's feet because he said, in the same way that I've washed your feet, so you're to wash one another's feet. And they broke bread. And it says that they're to share the meal together. So we have a fellowship meal together. And then he says that every, you're supposed to break this bread and do it in remembrance of me. So we take communion. And we have bread and cup communion a couple times a year, like during a Sunday morning and stuff. But the big time where we commemorate this, the holiday, as it were, the feast, is when we have a love feast and it happens twice a year. And it's going to happen again in, uh, on the first, First weekend of October, the first Sunday of October. And if you've never been to Love Feast, man, you are missing the most important holiday of the church. The most important, much more important than Christmas is the Love Feast. This is like Passover for us. This is the holiday, the, the time of remembrance. This is when we break the bread together. When he said, this is my body broken for you. This is the new covenant. If you want to remember it, then you have to celebrate this holiday. It's incredibly important for us. And it's a really bizarre and weird thing in our day and age to celebrate this archaic feast. And that's what makes it so amazing, is it's 2,000 years later and we're celebrating it just like Jesus was celebrating the Passover 1,500 years after Moses. And 2,000 years later, we do this service that might have made sense 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't make sense now. And that's exactly how it should be because we're remembering something that actually happened 2,000 years ago. And the more we're a part of it, the more we can believe in the reality of it. And so if you've never been there, I'm encouraging you. Part of the history of Love Feast is that since it's kind of a different kind of service, people aren't always feeling real comfortable right off the bat. Come and observe it. That's always part of it. If you want to just come and observe it, come and observe it. If you want to take part, take part. But the deal is, is this is it. I mean, this is the, it's the memorial. That's the holiday, the day of remembrance. You know, it's when we break bread together. It's when we wash one another's feet. It's when we practice the the last supper together because that's the feast that he set in place. You got to be a part of that. Make it, make a note of it. Put it on the calendar, an annual calendar. Twice a year, we remember him. You know, so that's the the great feast of the of the Christian Church is this great thing of remembrance. Uh, it, it's a, it's a symbol that God puts in place because there are things all over th- throughout the Scriptures that we need to remember, and this is the greatest one that He says you yeah, have to remember. It. Now, listen, I I watched this TV show um, I, I once that was about this woman, and it was it was fictional. It wasn't a reality show or anything, a documentary or anything. It was fictional, but it was about this woman who had a medical condition. And the medical condition, something was wrong with her chemicals, and she had this phenomenal memory because of it. But the problem with her memory was is that the more she could remember, she remembered everything that everyone had ever done to her that was wrong. That's bad. That's really dangerous, you know? And so it massively affected all of her relationships because she couldn't get along in these relationships because she couldn't let go because she had these memories that she couldn't get rid of. Now, here's the deal, is that they found the solution to her problem. If she took this pill, it would get the chemicals balanced back, and she'd go back to having a normal memory like everyone else, but she didn't want to let go of it. You know why? Because she liked the unique identity of being someone who had such a great memory. And so there was this real struggle where it's like, do I want to be the person who has the good memory, or do I want my relationships to function well? you know, and there's this real struggle, personal identity versus the relationships. It's amazing how much memory affects trust. Our relationships are massively affected by our memory, and the reason is because our trust is built and broken based on memories. That's what builds and breaks trust, is memories. And we have to choose what to see and what to let go of, that's how this works, you see. And my boys, they, you can see that this in my boys. They, they last year they were in swimming lessons, and when they first went into swimming lessons, dude, it was like a panic. You know, like the water was like, they were freaking out. And especially when they try to get them to float on their back and they'd like hold them like this and get them float. And they're like uh, legs and arms flailing and just the most awkward uh, like thing you'd ever see because the kid's freaking out. But now a year later, they take swim lessons again. And guess what? For the first day or two, they were feeling a little weird, but they started to ease in a lot quicker. Why? Because last year they didn't drown. And they remembered this year by the end, by the time we got to vacation, I was trying to keep them from drowning in the ocean because they were going nuts diving in, you know? And it was like, because of the memory, sometimes it's like you need a bad memory just to give you a wake-up call to say, that yeah, that's a misplaced trust, you know? But the memories inform us about what we can trust and what we can't. And that's the way it works in relationships. And we have to choose what to see and what not to see in order to engage on certain levels in the relationship. But listen to this. When it comes to our relationship with God, this is really important. Any memory that you can find of God will build faith in him. Any memory you can find in your relationship with God will build trust in him. You know why? Because God is always faithful. He's always faithful. He never changes. It says that his faithfulness continues through all generations. So any memory that we can pull out, a collective memory from the past, a present memory of something God just did, no matter what it is, it will build trust and it will build faith because God has this track record that's just, un- there's, there, it, it, there's no flaw in his track record at all. And the more I can piece it together, the more I see just how amazing he is. Look at how David discovers this. This is absolutely spectacular to watch David go through this process himself in Psalm 77. We're gonna read Psalm 77 and I'm gonna have you stand in honor of God's word. This is gonna be the, our, the, the uh, big passage that I'm reading today and we're gonna fly through this thing. Um, so I just wanna read this and have you stand with me as we read it in honor of God's word. David's in a bad spot here. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress. I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. Now listen, I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing, and I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night, and my heart mused, and my spirit inquired Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he, in anger, withheld his compassion? You ever been there? Where your memory of the good times doesn't help, it actually hurts? Where you're like, it was so good back then, and now, it kind of stinks. And you know what? That memory back there, that doesn't encourage me, that depresses me. That makes me angry because I want that to be true here and now. You ever been there? Talk about a people who could be frustrated about a memory. Think about us as Americans pre-9-11. What has happened to our country? What has happened to our country? It's coming apart at the seams. Stuff is falling apart all over the place. Who we were back then is not who we are anymore. And as far as we know, we have no idea whether it's ever coming back again. Things have changed. And what about your life and your relationship with your spouse and the good old days when you were doing this and doing that with your friends and now all of a sudden things have changed? You ever felt that the memory hurts you? It doesn't help you? Listen to what David does. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on your works and consider your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people and the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Listen. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water and the skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked and your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You can have a seat. Moses and Aaron? Are you kidding me? When he's depressed, he starts thinking about Moses and Aaron and he says, I'll remember all your works. Did he know Moses and Aaron? They lived over 500 years before him. I mean, that's way before, like longer than George Washington lived before us, you know? And here David is over this kingdom and he's depressed because he's like, I remember when it was like we were stoked and the, and the praises were just pounding out and God was so close and we were on this mountaintop experience and everything was working perfect and I'm depressed now because it seems like I can't get anybody riled up and it's not working and nothing's happening and this stinks and I'm frustrated and then he stops. And you know what he remembers? He remembers the Passover feast. He remembers the stories that his parents told him. And their parents told them. And he remembers the scriptures that he was taught. And he remembers Moses and Aaron almost like they were his friends. You know why? Because they led the same nation that he's leading right now. And to him, they weren't just religious stories. They were lineage. They were heritage. They were history. And it was real. And the same people who he's batting his head against the wall with right now is the same people that God led across the Red Sea and Moses batted his head against the wall with. And he's like, oh, I wish things were where they were 20 years ago. But I'll tell you what, God hasn't changed a bit. He's been the same way for at least 500 years. And he's done the miraculous. And the stories of what he did back then are better than any story I have in my personal history. So the best that God has is still ahead of me. God's faithful, and he's good. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, for all time, because his faithfulness continues to all generations. It's a beautiful thing to watch that. I love this quote and uh, this passage in Deuteronomy. It says this, Deuteronomy 32.7, it says, remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father, and he will tell you. Your elders, and they will explain to you. Man, do I wish that everyone could turn to their dad and say, how was God faithful to you?" Man, do I wish I was the case. I know some of you have terrible experiences at home. And you don't have dads who can tell you all that. And I'm sorry for that. You know, you didn't come from a family of faith. You didn't come, you don't even know maybe who your dad is. You know, some of us are broken that way. But some of us have been blessed. And we have dads who told us the stories, who put the scriptures in our heads, you know, who reminded us of all of it. And we are blessed. But this says, ask the elders. And I hope that you have heard the elders of this church, the leaders of this church tell the stories. I remember Dave Willauer got up here a couple, a couple years ago now, and he told this story about a revival that took place in Parker Ford Church over 100 years ago, a massive revival that broke out. And when he told me that story, I'd never heard the story before. And I was floored. And I was like, I'm a pastor at this church. And I didn't know that story. And God's faithfulness was here in this church over 100 years ago. He's been working in this church for over 175 years. He's going to be faithful now. He was faithful then. We had a business meeting to talk about the building project months back and a whole bunch of you showed up. It was incredibly encouraging. I thank you all for showing up and showing support at that one. And and when we came to that thing, I remember Ron and Shirley Elliott, they were talking about how God first put it on their heart when Ron was on this field on his tractor. And he was sitting there and he looks over at the, at the plot of land and he just had this impression, there's supposed to be a, he saw a church sitting on the land. He's like, there's supposed to be a church there, you know? And he's like, we're going to find a way to get this property to, with a church built on it. And then after that, they sold the property to, to Heritage or whoever and, and, and Ryan Holmes put all these homes up and now there's all these homes and there's a church in it and here we are sitting here. And he told this story as we're thinking about whether or not to make the next steps in the building project. And he's like, I saw it. And they're like, and then God did it. You know? And I remember at the last congregational business meeting, we had to move forward with it. Some of you were there, not quite as many. (laughs) Just messing with you. Um, And I remember one person said, they looked back and they said, You know, at that last meeting, I heard the story from Ron. They're like, When are we going to build again? You know? Because God's faithful. And the story of what God had done, I remember Byron and some others got up and talked about how quickly God paid off this debt. That way they thought, it's going to take forever to pay it off. Boom, it got paid. And, and the stories of what God had done in our church build trust and they build faith. And we have to tell the story. We have to take the pictures. We have to show the pictures. We have to tell the stories. We have to remember. We have to remember. We have to remember. Because it builds faith. And when we begin to forget, You begin to lose perspective. That whole period of Judges, the book of Judges, where Israel was like out to lunch and completely not trusting in God, you know what it says? That they forgot God's faithfulness to them. That they had forgot the stories of their faith. They forgot, and when they forgot, they stopped believing that God was present because they didn't believe in the reality of what he had done. And so they only could think about, well, I don't really see God or feel God right now. Well, yeah. God doesn't do the same thing every day, but we got to think about the timeline, the longevity of his faithfulness. Sometimes I wonder what my kids are going to remember. You know, sometimes the question isn't, what am I going to remember? It's what am I going to help them remember? You know, because they don't have what's in my mind. They didn't go through what I did. And sometimes I just assume that that people are going to learn what I learned. That's not a good assumption at all. The responsibility among parents, among elders, among leaders, is that our job is to tell the story. Whenever God does something for us, we're to testify, to tell the story, to help others remember. So what we do with our kids is we memorize scripture all the time because I wasn't there when God created the heavens and the earth, and neither will Evan and Colton be. But you know what? They need to know Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because they got to remember it even though they didn't see it because they have to remember the story. They have to remember about Jesus. They have to remember about Moses. They have to remember this stuff. And the only way they're going to remember it is if we build into their minds the memories that are told in the greatest story, you know, that's in this book. And the only way we remember it is if we're told and if we illustrate it and if we show it. And so we got to tell the stories. And it's not just the biblical account. They need to hear the stories about how this church came to be. They need to hear the stories about what God has done in faithfulness in the church. You know what else they need to hear? The faithfulness of how God has moved in their parents. They need to know that a generation before them, that God was still alive and active. That it wasn't just back then, that it's present. We, uh, when we moved from Ephrata to here, I've told a bunch of these stories, so I won't retell them all right now. But I can't tell you in, in, in a year and a half how much God showed up in our life. I mean, Jen was paralyzed in her leg after the birth of Colton. And at a prayer meeting, God healed her. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's in the Bible, yeah. But that night after being prayed for, she moved her leg again, you know? That night, and, and I had three knee surgeries and a staph infection that nearly took me out, and God was faithful and brought me through it. Josh and I, we had to let go. We were, had been here at Parker Ford Church, and we were long gone. You know, God was taking us on to other things in our lives as far as we knew, And God brought us back together in ministry together and brought us back to this place in miraculous fashion in ways that we had no idea he was going to do it. God's faithful prophetic word, his faithful promises, they're fulfilled in ways that we never see coming. God is so good and so faithful. He brought things around in ways that just boggled our mind. Perhaps the most amazing for us was the fact that we were going to settle on this house here. Uh, We we knew that God had called us to, to settle on this house here and we didn't have the we had to sell our other house, you know, and we had to put an agreement on this place to have it built in time. And we stepped out because we thought God really called us to it. And we were with two weeks of settling on this house and we didn't have the money because we hadn't sold our other house because right after we put it on the market, the market bombed, you know, and we needed the money in order to pay for the down payment of this place. We were stuck. You know what? Two weeks before we settled, someone came and made an offer on the place And at that point, we were like, well, it doesn't matter because you don't have time to settle in time. It takes 30 days to get the paperwork through. And they were like, we want to do private financing. And they find someone to do private financing. And within two weeks, they settled the last possible day that they could get the money to us, that we settled. We settled the day before, and we came and took that check and came over here and settled on this place. And God has blessed the ministry here and blessed our neighborhood and blessed our neighbors through the relationship that we have because God, when he calls and he asks and he asks us to step out in faith, he's faithful to provide. And you know why we know that? Because he's done it in the past. And so what we did as a family is we said, we can't let the story drop. All that that he did. So we set up a family day of remembrance. Once a year in the Deering family, we remember, we stop everything we're doing and we remember what it is that God did in our lives. And you know, it's... It was supposed to be on Monday. It landed on Labor Day. And um, because I had this plan about what we were going to do, and I forgot, like, had this whole plan. And Tuesday came, and I looked at my calendar, and I realized that I missed it. And I woke up in the morning. I was falling apart. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, after all that God's done for me, I can't even remember. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to be kidding me. And I woke up that day, and first it was just shame, but then I was like, no, we can't let this go. We've got to remember it. It doesn't matter whether I forgot that. We got to remember. So I said, Jen, we got to get the kids out of school. You know, so we got the kids out of school early and we got in the car and we drove to Ephrata and we went to the old playgrounds that we played in and we walked around and said, you know why we could play with you in these playgrounds is because God healed our legs, you know? And you know, you know, this church here that we used to minister at, they paid almost a half a year's salary so that Josh and I could both come to Parker Ford to do this. We weren't doing anything for them. And they sent us and paid half a year's salary for us to come here because they believed in God's faithfulness. And we stood outside of our, church, or our house and we were like, in that house, I screamed like a baby because of how much pain I was in. And God healed me from it. And in that house, we watched you grow up and we saw you learn your first Bible verse. And we saw God call us out of Ephrata back to the place where he had for us. You know, and we know that he's faithful because we saw him work in these profound ways. And, he, and then we went from Ephrata and we came back to here and we came to the house and we put on the video... And we showed the pictures of the house, as being, the house being built and we showed moving day. And we reminded them that it's only God that made it possible. And then we went from there to the place where I was raised, my parents' place, where we're gonna be taking over that house and moving into that house. And we were in the woods and we did all this in the pouring rain because it was just dumping rain. You know, we're just soaking wet all day long. And we're standing out here in the woods behind the, the house that we're gonna be moving into. And we had this prayer and we said, God, you were faithful in the previous generation and we know you're gonna be faithful moving forward. In this place right here, I learned the scriptures. And in this place, my kids are gonna learn the scriptures. And I'm not gonna let the story drop with me. In this place, here and now, we ask your faithfulness to move again in this generation that you would raise up my children to be who they're supposed to be. It's not about the story of the dearings. It is absolutely about the story of God. And if we wanna be a part of it, we gotta tell the story of God's faithfulness so that they know it, so that they get it, so they believe it, so they can step out and. faith. Faith, not because they've personally seen God move, but because we've told them the stories about how God has moved. Do we believe in God's faithfulness? Then we got to tell the story. We got to tell the story. We've got to believe the story. We've got to memorize this scripture. We've got to hold on to the stories, the stories of ancient past, the stories of Parker Ford and what God's doing and has done, the stories of our families, the stories of our lives. God's all through it, and we have to hold on to them, and we have to believe them, and we have to tell the story if we want them to know it. And it's not for us. God's already grabbed a hold of us. We're sitting here today practicing the day of rest because we believe and we're working in remembrance. It's not for us. It's for them. We don't miss a Sunday because I need my kids to know that they have to be here. It's not just for me. It's because I believe that we've got to build it into the psyche that you have to set aside the day. We memorize this not just because I need it, but because my kids need it. And if I don't get it into them as much or more than it's been in me, then there's no way my grandkids are getting it. I'll tell you that right now. It's on us to tell the story. It's on us to remember and to help them remember as well. It's absolutely imperative that we remember certain things. Do you have to tell me to remember September 11th? No way. I don't even think you have to tell the history books. I think it will go down in history. I mean, the greatest city of the greatest country on earth, and people fly planes into towers and drop it. That's going to be legends for years to come. It's going to be told. The real questions aren't will we forget? It's what will we remember? What will we choose to remember? What will our kids know as the truth about that day? And more important than just that day, what will they know about our lives? What will they know about God's faithfulness during 9-11? What will they know about God's faithfulness in my transition from effort to here? What will they know about God's faithfulness in the story of how God's bringing you through the difficult time he's bringing you through right now? The only way is if we choose to decide just we decide and say this will not be forgotten and i will tell this story and i will find a way to make sure that we don't lose this because i know that next year when i go through what i'm going through i have to remember what he did this year or else i'm not going to get through it next year and believe me when we forget instantly we start to turn into faithless people because we lost track of a faithful god It's on us to remember. Israelites finally make it. (laughs) They finally make it to the promised land. It's this beautiful, beautiful moment. And uh, he told them that they needed to have courage and they needed to remember what happened to their parents. And so they did. And as they remembered and they stepped out in obedience, God did something very, very special for them. He decided that the story that was there for their parents, they were going to have their own story. And that what he did for their parents, he would do for them. And so they come to the promised land, and they step out in faith. And it said the Jordan River was in flood stage. You ever seen a river in flood stage? <laughs> My dad's uh, down at his uh, house down in the river right now, in Susquehanna River, trying to get uh, you know a couple feet of mud out of his uh, first floor because the whole first floor was underwater. You know, like well, river in flood stage is no joke. Jordan River, full flood stage. And they're supposed to cross over into the promised land. And as long as they step out in obedience and believe that what God did back then, he can do now, they're going to see him be faithful again in this generation. And so they step in, and guess what happens? It opens up. The Jordan opens up. It's amazing. And then God tells them that in the same way that he memorialized what happened back then, it's time for them to memorialize it. Chapter 4 of Joshua. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenants had stood. Now listen, so important, and they are there to this day. (laughs) I'd love to know when my sons have grandkids and they're sitting there with their grandkids, what they're going to be able to point to and say, and it's still there today. Because we left a heritage. Because we told the story. Because we have the pictures that reveal the story of God, that build faith in them. That's what I want to know. What is the legacy we're leaving behind? What are we remembering? What are we choosing to see? What are we choosing to remember? What still stands generation after generation after generation? We have to choose what to remember. It's on us to do this. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. Let's pray.